everybody this is Tabitha welcome to white wellness today is August 6 2022 broadcasting out of New York for white wellness radio that song right there Jefferson Airplane somebody to love way back in 1967 so the title for this week's white wellness broadcast the 300th episode is the throat yoni kind of an interesting name you might ask yourself uh, while you're listening to this but it'll all make sense by the end of the episode And I did a little mini show on Tuesday about the nine arts of healing. So if you haven't checked that one out, be sure to check that one out. And I guess technically this would now be the 300 and number one show, but I'm still billing it as the 300th 300th show that I've posted on the Podbean since I started this little broadcast. Well, I've been broadcasting for three and a half years, but I started Wet Wellness Radio back in August. So essentially we have the one year 
anniversary or almost the one year anniversary. I'm not remembering exactly what day it was. I think it was a, a touch uh, later in the month because we're just in the first week of the month, of course. And um, also the 300th episode that I've uh, posted. So pretty cool stuff. Thank you for everyone who's been a listener, whether you've been a, a seasoned listener or you're a new listener, you're always appreciated. So like we like to do every week, the word of the week. Let's see. Just going to make sure I don't pick one of those ones I've picked already because we're getting to the near end of this deck. All right. Here's a weird word. Bridalope. So the word bride with lope at the end. Earliest English word for a marriage custom dating back to AD 950, first known as the Bridlopa, B-R-Y-D-L-O-P-A. The related bridal run was an ancient tradition in which the bride was both symbolically and physically swept off the horseback to her husband's home by him and a helper who was later known as the best man. The Anglo-Saxon Saxon word wed to gamble or wager first referred to the livestock or other payment the groom made to the bride's father as a more civilized alternative to abduction. Sounds pretty misogynistic, to, to be honest with you, actually, just basically uh, stealing someone and sweeping them off. And then I guess since humans are commodities, and I guess they have been for a long time, now I think a lot of people are realizing that with the TS or the, the transsexual agenda that the body is, you know, a commodity, the body's fluids and energies are commodities, but it sure sounds like this, um, taking livestock or other payment, but of course was typically known as a dowry back in the day, but uh, I can't really say I'm very much uh, into this, this type of thing. Who even knows the origins? It could be Talmudic. Many of the things that we think are our traditions actually turn out to be, no surprise, Talmudic. But anyway, that word is uh, bridalope, the word of the week, bridalope. And speaking about the commodification of the body, and of course that could be that could be looked at in, in many ways. Some can say surrogacy is commodification. Um, all the t-sexual or transsexual stuff would be commodification. Any of like the hyper feminization, hyper masculinization surgeries would be commodification. But one thing that I was thinking about is blood donation, because of course ever since Oyed AI and all the tainting that the Skeksis did to the blood supply, which of course they've been doing for years. This is nothing new ever since vaccination has been a thing. And of course the history of injecting people with the DNA of other races and species goes back a long time. They've been foul, there's been foul play in the blood, you know, the blood department for a long, long time. Of course, miscegenation, I mean, it goes on and on and on, but they're desperate. The Zog is desperate for blood. I actually got uh, a text three or four times, believe it or not, offering me a gift card for $20 to uh, donate blood. And then I actually got the last text that I got about this. They stopped asking for the, or, you know, promoting the idea of the donation, which, you know, 20 bucks gift card is like, who cares about that, right? That's like, wow, if someone's going to sell their blood for 20 bucks, I mean, that's a more problems than, than that, of course. But first they sent me that about two or three times saying, you know, here's a gift card, follow this link, you know, go here on this day, you know, we need your blood. Then they sent me one specifying that I exactly needed my blood type that it was needed. So it's just, it's so creepy. I mean, I guess in a way I've never should have given it in the first place. I did it once in my life. Uh, I won't be doing it again for a multitude of reasons. I know it's very hip uh, nowadays with, with some humans and some of these, you know, so-called health communities to give their blood because their blood's been overtoxified with um, the iron filings that they ate in their diet their whole life. But um, the idea of giving away your fluids, 
don't know. It doesn't really sit too too well with me. I know people do it for you know testing and, and such like that, which you know maybe a little different. Um, but still, it's just just the commodification of the body is um, how how dehumanizing when you really think about it. I mean, there's so many agendas these days that are you know totally dehumanizing. I mean, there's just I think now we live in more of a disembodied and dehumanizing society than I think we've ever lived in before, or at least that's my experience because I'm living right now and this is this is all I, I know for this point in this life. But nevertheless, this show, like many others on the on the network, of course, is really gonna be about how can we really embody ourselves for you know, for the guys and the gals, for everybody, all ages. And the snares out there that are really attempting to disembody us and um, ruin our energy, ruin our spirituality, and of course, many things to defile us on, on other levels that we're all too familiar with. The blood is just one thing, but the blood's a big thing. It's a really, really big thing, just like how probably many of us listening who are maybe a little bit older, like the older millennials, um, you know, the Gen Xers, boomers and stuff, we still kind of recoil at the idea of miscegenation. It's just like, really? Like, you know, why would you do that? You know, but a lot of these youngsters, I mean, they don't, they already have been totally brain zoggled by miscegenation that they're easy marks for like the TS agenda, you know, completely because they've already been so deracinated. So yes, that was the word of the week, bridal open, a little bit of an introduction for the show. And now I want to get to a couple of stories that it all weaves into, you know, the main thing, like it always does. A couple of stories, kind of humorous, but also kind of sad and, and very telling. They both have to mostly do with Gen Z, I think. Like when they're talking about young people now, I assume they're talking about Gen Z. I think for a while it was millennials and you heard all this this stuff about millennials and at first I didn't even know what that meant. I was like, oh, you mean the Generation Y people? Like, you know, because, you know, Generation X and then Generation Y and they call, you know, the Zoomers Generation Z. But for some reason they like to call these millennial people um, millennials and not Generation Y, which it, it really should be. So Gen, Gen Z, this is the Generation Zog, Generation Zyklon, however you want to look at it. This is the, this is this generation which was born from 1997 to 2012. So the people who are between age 10 and 25, very impressionable age right now to be alive. Um, of course, if you're a millennial and you're born between 81 and 96, that's also very impressionable. So yeah, these two stories kind of relate more to the, the Generation uh, Z and just kind of more of that idea of seeing that people's perception of what they presume to be reality, I'll use that in quotes or maybe triple parentheses, let's do both, let's do quotes and triple parentheses to, to use that word, but um, reality is really, the definition of reality is changing, just like the definition of everything, how people throw around the word racist, how, you know, the idea of what constitutes a woman or a man is completely, people don't even know anymore. It's, it's a zoggy, zoggy time to be alive. So anyway, here is this study right here, this article. Don't assume that selfies, hate that word, self-portraits show true facial features. So this is kind of a sad, funny type of, of story. The more than one million cell phone selfies taken every day have produced an unanticipated outcome, a documented uptick in plastic surgery. And plastic surgery is one of those things that has been around for quite some time. It's become 
destigmatized. It's no longer taboo. For a while, it was very taboo, especially with the idea of men getting plastic surgery. Typically, it was kind of the things that women did, especially older women. Uh, or, you know, I guess the real context for plastic surgery is for, you know, cleft palates and things like that, right? As opposed to people doing all this body part stuff, that's when it really becomes transhumanistic. And remember that the transsexual or TS agenda has its roots in many things, and one of those things is plastic surgery. Younger women in particular are increasingly showing cosmetic surgeons their selfies to demonstrate why they want to change the size or shape of their nose. But these concerns may be based on a distorted perception because selfies distort facial features, says researchers from a university, University of Texas Southwestern. So there was a study done at this university where 30 subjects, 30 humans, took one photo 12 inches from the face with their arm bent, the typical, you know, selfie pose people do, and another at 18 inches with the arm straight. When they compared the 12-inch selfie against a third photo taken at five feet away, the researchers found that on average, the nose appeared over 6% longer and the chin seemed 12% shorter. This creates a distorted total of over 17% in the nose to chin ratio. Selfies also made the base of the nose appear wider relative to the width of their face. If only young people if young people are using selfies as their only guide, they may be coming to plastic surgeons to fix problems that, that don't exist, except in the world of anti-social media. And that just makes me think of like the TS or transsexual agenda, fixing problems that don't exist. And that's true of so many agendas. The virus crisis, thinking of problems that don't exist, right? Of course, living in a post-truth world, we would of course subsume and excorse ourselves with problems that don't exist because our reality or quote reality has been completely and totally fabricated. This is kind of like a funny, sad thing. So here are these people using their mobile device to take a picture of themselves that inaccurately represents what they actually look. And then they go to Dr. Zog trying to get a new look so they can look different in a picture that doesn't even depict how they actually look. Yowza. Holy hell, right? I mean, this is this is just the, the tip of all the Zio sludge that's going on in the world today. But I mean, to think that a picture taken at that angle, like I always think people look really weird when they take those pictures. Like it's always weird to me when they show a story, especially like a tragic story of someone who was like, you know, murdered or something, or something awful happened, someone got in a terrible accident and they show a picture that the person took themselves to identify them in the article as opposed to like a picture of them, you know, hanging out with their arm around friends and family. Like, you know, what we knew 10, 20 years ago was a normal photo opportunity. Now it's all these weird photos where people are like taking the picture themselves or those stories you hear about someone who's taking a picture of themselves at some natural site and they fall into a volcano or they fall into a hole or something like that. So we're seeing more and more every day that people really are not living maybe they're living but they're not really existing in the natural world and something like this taking a picture of yourself and not really being able to discern that it doesn't really look the way that you do look and then going to dr z and being like oh you know my chin needs help or my nose needs help or all of all of this stuff i mean do people ever think like ever that they could change the way they look by the foods that they eat and the beliefs that they have probably not right because that's that would take work number one and number two People like the quick fix, especially in the West. So this was just a mind zero of a story, this uh, this idea of these uh, self-portraits. I prefer to call them that. I don't, I don't like this uh, 
this is a Zio sludge word. You know, it's up there with like uh, twerking and, and ratchet and oof. I don't even want to use these words. You know, I don't want to pollute pollute my vocal cords by saying these things. But anyway, that was that story. And I have another story that's kind of along the same lines, also has to do with Generation uh, Z. So there are people from this generation, even the younger ones, the ones who aren't even like in their 20s yet. So now we have teens, teens, guys. Teens are worried about wrinkles. Here's how Gen Z is helping to fuel a beauty boom. Whilst young, quote, skin investors or skin vesters are often in pursuit of self-care and overall well-being, experts are concerned about the premature demand for more invasive treatments. So, of course, I believe that one of the things that's motivating this is the anti-social media, because, of course, even growing up in the 80s and 90s, you know, we had the fashion magazines. All the girls remember those magazines. And, of course, you know, we compared ourselves to the people in those magazines. And probably now we realize they were transsexuals and our legs will never be that thin. And, you know, just we're never going to look that way or you know, be six foot tall, even though some women are six foot tall. But oftentimes those pictures that we would always compare ourselves to, those were men. <laughs> So it's already, that's already like a built-in thing. Now it's even worse with all the saturation of the anti-social media. Back in the day, it was just a magazine or, you know, you saw your friends in school. Now it's like 24-7, nonstop, nonstop. And then every little thing you do could be, you know, saved on the internet and people could, you know, I guess, pick you apart for it. Crazy how things have gotten. So now there are these uh, youngsters, these Gen Zog youngsters who are so concerned with anti-aging that they're doing all these like crazy things. So here's some youngster, uh, an 18 year old male youngster who's doing all this stuff, micro needling, um, hydrofacials, laser treatment, 18 years old doing this sauna, all of this stuff. I mean, these, some of these things, not all of them, you know, like taking a sauna and, and red light therapy, those things can be, you know, helpful depending on your constitution, but to get this kind of uh, hyper about it at this young age just seems kind of like mentally ill, I would say. So young people, people who are like under 25, are increasingly incorporating anti-aging products and treatments into their beauty regimes. And it said back in 2012, about 20% of women who were 18 to 24 considered anti-aging skincare to be important, but now or actually in 2018, that was, uh, I guess, four years ago, but six years after 2012. Remember, Instagroid, or Instagram, whatever you want to call it, I believe came into um, existence back in 2012. So that was like a pinnacle year. I remember like a lot of people I know, like actually like died. They like, they cashed out and they like, they left. And I remember always thinking like, you know, they left at a very kind of, you know, the pre precipice time of things changing, the beginning of the smart mobile. And, and, you know, six years later, 2018, this study even says that at that point, 50% of young women wanted to do something about anti-aging. So you can see the, um, the contagious hypnotic effect that anti-social media has, especially on youngsters, right? So now there are youngsters on some of these forums talking about um, wrinkles at 19, Premature aging at 16. I'm 16 and thinking about Botox for my forehead wrinkles. I mean, if you have wrinkles and you're in your teens, there's a problem. If you're in your 20s, even your 30s, there you have wrinkles. I, I don't know. I mean, I don't have any wrinkles myself. Like, I just don't. But I've always had 
very good, very minimal skincare and a good diet. So I think that that's really what it's about. You want to slap your skin with all these stupid plastic surgery things and all this, these crap products that degrade your skin that are synthetic, like your skin's not going to look better. I remember so many of these youngsters have been groomed to eat these diets that are like literal zio sludge. Like their diet is just going to be like iron filings, seed oils. I mean, it's just, it's hard to believe that the human body is actually able to, to stay alive on a, on a regime like that. Right. So they do mention in this article, something that I do that I think actually makes your skin look amazing, which is a gua sha. We've talked about this before in the broadcast. I mentioned it on the last mini clip. It's something that the Chinese have been doing for a long time. It's basically like facial acupressure, but your skin will definitely start looking a lot younger and firmer. If you have lymph issues where like you get puffy eyes, puffy cheeks, like a puffiness around the jawline, you can definitely fix it with gua sha. But of course, it really comes down to diet and, and other stuff too. You can only go so far with the skin stuff. And that's the problem that a lot of people fall into is they're so focused on what they can do with the exterior, they never think about the interior. Like how many people are walking around thinking about the health of their kidneys or their spleen? I don't think many people are. So this is also just really sad that um, so many people are so just impressionable and, and fragile. I really see a fragility with the, um, with the youth. Um, I mean, how many of them are falling for the TS agenda, you know, and I was thinking about this earlier today, we have a lot of youth. I mean, there are some youth who are aware. There's no doubt about that. It's not all youth out there who are, you know, falling for the Zao sludge. But if you take all the youth who have fallen for all the kind of things like this, like all the quote, beauty treatments and all the plastic surgery and all that kind of like the hyper feminization, hyper masculinization, which actually ends up looking almost like feminization because it's like any guy that wants like very groomed eyebrows and hair, it, it ends up almost looking like feminizing, right? But it's, it's feminizing in like a drag queen way. It's not like authentic, like, you know, woman-based beauty. I was thinking that like you have those kids and you have all the kids who are strung out on drugs. Then you have all the kids who believe all like the lib shit TS agenda who are like Marxists who are, you know, quote, anti-racist, who believe in transsexual ideology, who are vegan. How many of this generation is going to be alive in 20 years? I, plenty of us from Gen X are still going to be alive. We're still going to be kicking, right? But how many of these younger ones are, are literally still going to be alive? How many of them aren't going to take their life? Seriously. I mean, I've been looking into this TS agenda a little bit more. I know I said in the last couple of shows I had I had, had it with looking into it, but then I kind of got spurred a little bit to look into it a bit more. And uh, this is a serious problem. Um, of course, we've talked about this before on the broadcast. It's a serious problem because we have such a distorted society when it comes to sex and sexuality. And we have such a polarization of the sexes. But we already had that before this transsexual agenda. The transsexual agenda, just for me, it makes me realize how much more important it is, this this work of you know sacred sexuality and you know, harmony of the sexes. And all of this is basically holistic racialism at its root, right? But I think it's even more important when we see this, this beast, this Zao sludge beast, which is the transsexual agenda, which isn't just about, you know, some guy who's wearing women's underwear. It, it, that, that's like the basis of it. It's based on male paraphilia. 
It's, it's based on plastic surgery, uh, allopathy, injections, pedophilia. I mean, the most disgusting, you know, synthetic things you could possibly imagine, like would make any natural humans like skin crawl. But it goes even further than that. And there's a complete alignment with people who believe this agenda or agenda and people who believe in the Oyedei and, um, you know, the anti-racist, or I hate that phrase, anti-racist, just call anti-white or like the genocide agenda. That's a better thing to say than saying anti-racism because that's, that assumes that everyone who's not anti-racist is a quote racist. See how they fuck people with that language? But this, this TS thing, this transsexual thing is one of the biggest issues that we face as uh, humans, but also as racialists. This is bigger than the race thing. I mean, most people who are, you know, pro-white or racialist are probably against transsexualism, but they may not be against it enough. And I've been thinking about lately how this all ties in, of course, to transhumanism, obviously, and the removal of human sovereignty. And one of the things that makes human sovereignty so beautiful is our expression of sacred sexuality, which, of course, many of these people are castrates. They've been castrated. And if they're not castrated now from like the surgeries and the uh, quote, therapeutic hormones, they're going to become castrates at a later life. I mean, a later point in their life, right? But this is really the issue that's going to divide society is the T-human or, you know, training human, transhumanistic agenda. This is the issue that's more important than the race thing. This trumps race, essentially. So anyone who's into the training thing, vaccination, slave to allopathy, you're automatically in the Zog group. Even if you claim pro-white status, it doesn't matter. You're automatically in that group because you accept the tenets of transhumanism. Like there are people on the right who actually think like some male tranny is hot. So, I mean, the, not everyone on the right is pro-white. Anyone who's referring to themselves as being on the right is probably lost anyway. I would, I would never use a political ideology to describe um, my natural belief system. That's a, that would be an insult, right? And also in another vein, the best way to expose the skexis, to expose, to, to expose the essence stealing that they are doing is the transhumanistic and the transsexual stuff, you know? Walking around with a with a sign that says something very recoiling, let's say about the holohoaks or about the oives. I mean, you're probably easier territory now than it was before Oyed AI or you know ten years ago. But this is the main issue, and this is the issue that's going to divide humanity. Um, and like I said, it's it's bigger than the race thing because there are certain people who are. They say they're pro-white or racialist, but they um, still believe certain facets of the T-sexual agenda. They're sending their children to a school that is promoting transsexual agenda, which of course is pedophilia. We know that obviously. They promote or give vaccinations. I consider, this may be a hardcore kind of perspective to have, I consider vaccination to be a form of pedophilia. It is abuse of a child's body. Um, there's no other way to put that. Obviously, circumcision is pedophilia. Come on. They're even circum fetishist doctors, which is ugh, disgusting, that actually get a rise out of that type of stuff. So until our people completely eschew transsexualism, transsexual ideology, the pronouns, all that garbage, vaccination, allopathy, they're automatically going to be in the Zog group, right? This is the biggest threat to society is this thing. And they're using it and they're using it with the quote virus. They're using it with the quote climate change, all of this, right? And of course, as this is happening, they're, you know, flooding white lands with mudskins. Like we know this, like they're, they're, they're planning to do this by 2050 to have all these non-white areas of the country 
that are just like desert, not the country, the world, like desert area. They were going to decimate those areas and they want those people to go into white lands. So yeah, it's, it's a lot. Um, but I really think that the biggest issue is this T-humanist agenda, um, which really is, is fueling all of the anti-white stuff when you really think about it. And of course, these top T-humanist players, they're all male oives that are LARPing as rich white men, right? So yeah, there's a lot of things going on in the world. Uh, sometimes it feels kind of subtle if you don't think about it too much, but then you think about it a bit more and you're like, wow, there's a... There's quite a lot going on, but this is this is the issue. This is the, the, the biggest issue, is people who want a synthetic society and those who do not, those who want a nature-based reality. So that's going to really be the big divider, essentially. Do you want to live in a Talmudiarchy or do you want to live in an ancestriarchy or a ratiarchy? We all have to make the choice. So yeah, a little bit, a little bit there, and a little bit about this this Gen Zog trend of of anti aging, which is uh, I don't know, kind of sad. I mean, I, I wasn't really thinking about uh, anti aging at this point in my life when I was like eighteen to twenty four. I was just thinking about, I mean, even now, I just think about how can I be healthy? You know, how can I be vibrant? How can I I live a life that makes me smile like? that actually will reduce getting wrinkles. All of this stress, slathering your face with all this stuff, who even knows what's in it? So much of the skincare products out there actually give people like bad skin and wrinkles. So, I mean, really the most important thing is to just have a good disposition. And of course, if someone has wrinkles, it doesn't mean like it's terrible. You know, like when you get older, sometimes you get some wrinkles, but when you're older, like, it's more accepted, I guess. And everyone's skin is different. Some people like their skin just like gets jowly. Some people get wrinkles. Some people get like hyperpigmentation or like, you know, what they call liver spots or lipofusin. So everyone's has like a different way that their skin ages. But this is just sad to see these, these youngsters who were 18 who were so obsessed with this, almost like kind of in a OCD type of way that they're afraid of like, just living. I heard this crazy story the other day about this this um, young person who was afraid of aging, who is driving their car in a certain way, so they don't have like their hands at like you know ten and two like you typically would like on the on the, uh, the steering wheel. They had their hands like underneath at the bottom because they didn't want to get sun damage on the top of their hands. So yeah, crazy. And you know what's actually kind of the irony of all of this type of stuff, people who do a lot of these quote, anti-aging skin preservation style of, of, you know, quote treatments, they actually look older than their years. It's like these youngsters who have gotten plastic surgery, they all look older. So I wonder if these people in their twenties, like look like they're in their forties or even older, then what are they going to look like when they're in their forties? And of course, there's no mention in this article about, you know, eating enough lipids, um, eating enough carbohydrates, you know, taking regular bowel movements, eating protein, you know, doing exercises that are inversion types that, you know, increase blood flow to the face, having sex and having orgasms to keep your face looking young. Like, no, there's no mention of that. Um, just shoot yourself up with all this xylosludge stuff because, hey, you want to look young, you know, you want to. 
It's almost like everyone's creating some version of an avatar with their online self, whether they're transsexual or not. It's even creepier when someone's a transsexual. It's so creepy to me, more so the young gals that are falling for this transsexualism. Like, the, I guess my first time I ever saw a transsexual, it was a man. And my, my, my connotation of transsexualism was it, it was something that men did. It wasn't something that women did. It was like a male fetish. It was a sexual fetish. It's kind of always what I thought it to be. And I, I still think it to be that. But the idea that women are doing it, it's just, my God, it's just, it's so scary. And especially when it's a girl who's like, I guess, more attractive, you know, or, or prettier, it's even sadder to me. I mean, it's always kind of sad. And I've also noticed too, that a lot of these youngsters, they just don't have the, um, this may be one of the reasons why they're wanting plastic surgery and, and all this stuff and all the anti-aging. A lot of these youngsters, they just don't have the looks or the, uh, the facial structure that people from some of the older generations have. Like I've noticed a lot of young people just, not only do they have this vacant or hollow type of like thinness to their energy, and of course, this is not to put down anyone who's younger. This is just a generalization. I could make generalizations about any, any you know, generation or or any people, but I've just noticed that a lot of the younger people they just are, they're just like they're missing some type of like eugenic thing. It's almost like when you look at those pictures um, that Dr. Price took, you know, Dr. Weston Price when he was like traveling the world. And like the kids that were born like in the younger generations when the parents are in the diet of commerce, it's almost like the younger people now, they all kind of have that like industrial diet look to them. You know, it's 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 sad, you know, and I'm not saying any of this to be making fun of anyone or anything like that. I'm, I'm just a little shocked as someone who's a little bit older. And now sometimes when I go out and I see these younger people, it's like I look at them and I remember like I wasn't that I was that age fairly recently. I'm sure many of us who are like a little bit older kind of can relate to that feeling of remembering what it was like when we were younger and we were out riding our bikes or going to the mall like in the, in the 90s or whenever you grew up. But there's just something very different about youth. So I really do wonder with their, you know, their their racial stock or their eugenic stock kind of being not of the, the best, the best stock, unfortunately, the terrible diet, all the propaganda, um, just kind of the apathy of living in this world, how many will actually be alive in, in two years, not two years, two years too, but in, in 20 years. I don't know, it's, it's something I think about a lot, especially when we think about white genocide and we think about the future of our race. Um, I mean, what's gonna happen? And the idea that we have to keep on breeding and breeding, what's that gonna do if we keep on breeding people who believe in like Marxist ideology, you know, who are gonna cut their tits off, you know, or I don't know, become a quote, anti-racist, you know, or a genocider, like what, what's the point then, right? I mean, it's, it's really about quality over quantity. It should always be. So a little bit there about um, Generation uh, Zog and some of the quote trends that are, I guess, kind of really that the young, the young people are liking for some reason. And of course, also, maybe one of the reasons some of the younger ones look a little funny is because they're mixed, you know? I mean, there's more of a chance that the younger somebody is, the more mixed they are. Like I even know with myself being, you know, three different Europid things, you know, being Hungarian, Eastern European, being, you know, Sicilian, Hellenic, uh, and then being, I guess, Hungarian will be Uralic, just like Finns are, and then being, you know, Celtic, being, being Irish that people who are older than me, like they'll be one thing. They'll just be like, I'm Irish and that's it. Like we even see it with people who are 
quote mutts, quote American mutts, where they have like five, six, seven different like, you know, European ethnicities. So we're seeing more and more of that mixing, whether it be a dilution of many different, you know, European countries or other countries where, where whites are, or we see it just, you know, with, with miscegenation. Of course, if someone is, you know, half Italian, half Irish, they're not race mixed. They're a mix of different, you know, European, you know, cultures, essentially, but they're still one race. And I know sometimes people who are just one thing look down on, on us as being, quote, mutts, but I don't consider myself a mutt. I wouldn't use that language to describe myself. But anyway, um, really what a mutt would be would be someone who is, who is mixed, like a Michelin. So maybe that's the reason we're seeing more of this um you know kind of just these, these funny looks with some of the, the youngsters and stuff i hope that there can be some type of i don't know some turnaround with all of this i know this sounds all grim the stuff i've been saying thus far in the show but it's just it's just what i'm kind of sussing out and and seeing as time goes on and just uh, as of late i've kind of been out a wee bit more doing some shopping kind of you know seeing how the youth kind of interact and, and speak with each other and I know every young person has their own kind of thing that they go through and probably when, you know, maybe we were younger, people who are older are like, oh, that's what a weird style that all is. But now it just seems like really just bizarre. I don't know. And I'm sure many of us who are a little bit older, even some of us who maybe are millennials who are like 10 years older than some of these Zoomers, we may even feel like, whoa, there's a big difference, right? So let's take a Gandhi at the chat. Okay, we've got some humans listening right here. Mama Bear Tracy is saying hello. Hi. Glad to see you here. We've got some other humans with some uh, funny little names. Okay, so what else do we have to talk about for this broadcast? Um, oh, I'll go on to this. This is actually a good piece. So we're talking all about this stuff about you know generations and, and things of that nature. And now I wanna talk a little bit about the difference between whites and Aryan whites. And of course, yes, there is a difference. And I know I use the word white in the show title because I like the alliteration. That's why I like white wellness. Aryan wellness would, would be a good name for a show too. But I think also with a name like that, because that word is so kind of recoiling, I probably would be dealing with more censorship. As it is, I fly under the radar a lot because I, I don't really kind of, um, I'm not really boxable, if you will. You know, you can't really put me into a box and say, oh, she's this. It's really not, not really possible to be doing. But the word white doesn't necessarily mean racial. It can mean, you know, purity. It can mean heavenly. It can mean different things. So I found this on a very interesting page on Telegram. Let's see what page this is. It's called Anana Light. Interesting uh, small page. There's a lot of smaller pages on Telegram I find to be kind of nicer just like with any really any place instagroid whatever when an account gets too big oftentimes it just gets too much of like a a vibe that deviates from the main message right this is a very interesting post about the difference between whites and Aryans. so i'm going to orate this little thing right here the difference between whites and Aryan whites an Aryan, attractive high achieving high vibe creative glass half full intelligent, courageous, altruistic, noble, innovative, thoughtful, charming, industrious, interesting, otherworldly, bright person who adds beauty, light, and knowledge into the world, lives outside of limiting ideological and social 
constructs. I think that's a really great definition of what an Aryan is. I think that's something that we should all be looking to aspire to, right? To be high vibe, to be noble, to be interesting, industrious, to have um, the ability to add beauty and light and knowledge into the world. Like how many people are stuck on that black pill shit? Like that's, that's not really Aryan. Politics and religion have zero bearing on whether someone is Aryan or not either. And frankly, it's stupid to argue the point and dismiss someone for such mutable traits if your claim to fame is race-first worldview. And if just because they're on the left or whatever, they're suddenly stopped being white Aryan. Meanwhile, I've observed certain so-called liberal whites who despise subscribing to some self-sabotaging ideas look and act more Aryan than certain arrogant white Amerifat blue blumftards spouting all the quote correct Nazi talking points and the same can be said for vice versa and yeah that is true even though a lot of those libshit ideologies are you know a little bit repelling more than a little bit repelling you can be a person of you know more Aryan character than some of the people in the quote movement who I would say are just shit stains Aryanism is an intrinsic genetic trait indicative of a particular spirituality and worldview. It cannot be learned by reading all the Miguel Serrano works or by praising Hitler or Savitri Devi, though those icons can help one articulate what it means to be one's self. Not all white people are Aryan. A good portion are just white who, who are still better to deal with than um, blacks and Jews, sure, but let's not fool ourselves into equating them to the human ideal when in reality they're too often low vibe, flabby, unfit, slow witted, grain gluttons, pasty sad sacks controlled by base negative emotions with their backs hunched from slouching in front of computers for far too long and their eyes missing a certain magical spark. The eye thing is really important, um, especially when you're just dealing with people and, you know, with the costume and stuff. I, when I'm, the costume really isn't too much in style these days. It really depends where you go. But I noticed that it's always important, even more so with the costume, to kind of make that connection with someone's eyes. But you can tell. I think it's, I mean, it's a good way of kind of discerning someone's character or their emotional state based on their eyes. And it's not an age thing either, because sometimes you can see someone who's, you know, in their older years, you know, 70, 80 plus, and they have this sparkle to their eyes. And then you'll see someone in their 20s who, who is literally dead in the eyes. Actually, looking at a lot of these pictures of these, these transsexuals or these people who have been, I should actually say, these people who have been sabotaged and mutilated by the transsexual agenda. Really, the only transsexuals are these autogynophiles because that's the fetish. Um, these other people are just, you know, victims. They're just, they're cat and fodder, essentially. Sad. So yeah, the sparkle in the eye is a big thing. You'll also notice with a lot of the celebrities that Big Zog has done some type of, I don't know, something on who knows, MK Ultra, emotional blackmail, sexual emotional blackmail, whatever it is. If you look at their pictures from their, you know, their early days, their early movies, their early albums, and then you look at them now, you see there's like that lack of something like soul sucking, whatever it may be. It's It's more of a feeling that you just, you know, when you... When you look at someone, you just see it or you don't see it. Aryan people, Aryan white people are those in continuous states of self-improvement, creativity, and achievement, whatever form that takes. They are a force of beauty, inspiration, and brilliance in the world. They're not Aryan just because they're racialists like Hitler and swastikas. It's so much more than that, and it's not all of that, and not that at all sometimes. 
So that was that little post right there. I think it was kind of a good little concise way of, of you know, mentioning that, that difference. And also something else that I'll mention, which I've alluded to before, the idea of one of us wanting to save the entire race, that's kind of like a, a rescuer fantasy. And a lot of people who have been, you know, abused or sabotaged or victimized in the past have this kind of like thing where they want to save other people from possibly a similar fate, but you can really only ever save yourself. I know that there are some people who be like, oh, that's such a, a terribly selfish thing to say. You know, you've got to help everybody else out, but it really doesn't work like that because plenty of people are not helping themselves out. They surely aren't going to help you out if they can't help themselves out. So what it really always comes down to is, is forging that path yourself first and helping yourself, right? Because so many of us want to do that, but how many of us actually have our own shit together, right? So the idea of helping other people when we can't even get our own shit together, you know, I think it's really about getting one's own stuff in order before we kind of go out there and try to help other people. So just the thought that I had, and remember a lot of these whites that are not really Aryans, they don't want to be saved, right? They got the vaccination. They'll call someone by their, quote, pronouns, right? They watch pornography. They eat at Chick-fil-A. You know, these people don't want to be saved. It's not your, you know, your struggle to save them. So do your own thing. If anything, these people are going to slow you down, right? They're going to be like in the way of, of your goals. And if you're a high vibe person who wants to add beauty and light and knowledge to the world, helping people who don't agree with that, you know, I mean, it's, it's like what this little thing says, like, what I just described could be someone who's supposedly on the quote, right, like, I have really nothing in common with so many people who are, you know, on the dissident right, or, or any of these circles, because their worldview, or their Weltanschlag is still Jewish. So why would I want anything to do with someone, whether they're quote, pro-white or not, if their worldview is Talmudic, right? So think about yourself first. Think about preservation of yourself. And of course, you know, your, your immediate group of people who you love, you know, that's important too. But everyone has to come to this information when they're ready to. There are a lot of people who aren't ready for this yet. Maybe they figured out other stuff, right? Like I, I listen to things oftentimes that aren't necessarily part of the quote movement because I really find that to be very, very limiting perspective. Um, and I think that a lot of people are just really just caught up in like the minutia of things and getting into these kind of discourses about, you know, pagan versus Axtian, who cares about that? Vegan versus carnivore, who cares about that? You know, thinking about misogynistic ideas for women, like men are of course talking about this. Like, so I don't, I don't even engage myself. People talking about the, the earth, whether it's, you know, a f flat or a globe, you know, and the propaganda, like, I, I don't want to deal with any type of Zio dialectic, right? I think that actually takes away from us getting to this high achieving, high vibe state, which of course would be who the Skeksis. They love that. They love to do and put out information that constantly keeps people at each other's throats, causes, you know, lack of cohesion. But I think what I'm really trying to say is that people come to this information when they want to come to it, right? I think it's, and I'm also noticing with myself that a lot of people who end up following me or listening to me, whether it's um, on Telegram or uh, Instagram, wherever it may be, 
they're not all people who are part of the pro-white community. There are a lot of people who are following me who are people who know, you know, the Talmudic things that happened in the birth world and, the, and you know, the, all the allopathic medicine, birth being a huge thing, it's hijacked. How many people who are pro-white still believe in hospital birth, still believe in vaccination, still believe in circumcision? We have a real problem. If people are still believing in these Jewish ideas, we have a real problem. This is why we have no cohesion in this movement, because people are still doing these things that there's a lack of sovereignty. I think that's really what it comes about. But everyone comes to the information when they come to the information. You do your job. You know, you try to be as high vibe as you can. And people will find out when they find out, I guess. And you know, the idea of trying to pummel information into people, you know, saying, we've got to do it this way, you got to do it this way. Everyone's going to do and realize things when it's their time. And, and that's all there is to it. You know, you can be a guide for some people sometimes, but it really comes down to people being ready to understand a lot of this information too. Like I got this, uh, speaking of, you know, people who were kind of not in, I guess, agreement with, you know, cohesive ideas. I got this email the other day, email message from an individual on, on Talmudgram. And they're like, oh, I'd like to ask you a question. I'm like, yeah, sure, okay. And I figured, like, you know, people message me all the time asking me a question or two about their health, you know, whatever health thing it may be, maybe the health of someone who they know, an issue, you know, like this is this is common for me. It's been happening. I've been helping people in this, you know, this way for for a while. So I get this comment today from someone I've never heard from, never seen any of the groups or the channels, and ask me this question, um, are you a lesbian or something like that and wanting to know details. And I'm like, I don't share personal details with other, with other like random people like on the internet who I just met, like sexual details. Like, why would I? So then the person was a guy, by the way, then the person assumes that me saying that means that I'm a lesbian because <laughs> because of the Vedic channel. They're like, oh, you, you must be, you must be at least bisexual or hypersexual because of the things you're posting on the, on the Vedic sex and fertility channel i'm like well maybe you're just not used to people who are you know talk this way or who are comfortable with their own you know sexuality and their own sexual power and i just i just ended up deleting it after that and then wrote something on on my telegram of the vedic sex and fertility channel about this person who is just acting like a tom fool a lot of tom fools on um on instagram unfortunately um what did I write? Where is it? A lot of people on this app are unreasonable, unfortunately. I just had some creep attempt to ask me personal sex questions and then deem me a lesbian when I say I don't respond to questions like that. So yeah, I mean, there's oh, there's a lot of problems, <laughs> a lot, a lot of problems out there, you know. And like I said, you're supposed to follow or help everyone with every problem in the world. Like everyone should solve their own problems right and solve their own stuff as opposed to just you know trying to take on the weight of the world like we can't all take on the weight of the world and if you look at people in the past who have taken on these huge weights of the world they burn out really quickly they get ill they end up dying you know they it's 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 not good it's really not good for our for our health if we think about things from a holistic perspective and one of the best ways to show people the way is to do by example, right? That's how youngsters oftentimes learn, right? Good or bad habits. So if a youngster sees, you know, a parent snacking on something terrible, like, you know, Doritos or something, they're going to think, oh, okay, I can do that. Or if the youngster sees the parents, you know, waking up and, 
and doing some stretching. You know, they're going to pick up on that. So I think everyone is impressionable, especially when we're young, we're more bibulous to ideas like that. But I just think that we really have to focus, get the focus right, get the honing in on right, and realize that not all whites are Aryans. I, I know sometimes it's a sad, sad thing to think about because there was time in the past where I wanted to, to help liberate everyone from you know this, these these things, all these ideas, all these you know, Talmudic psychological contaminations. But that really can't be done. You know, it has to happen drip by drip. You can't just devote all of your energy, all of your time, all of your power to doing that because then you just, what, what quality of life do you have for yourself? So I think we'll take a wee little break right now, and then we'll come back and we'll start to talk about the throat chakra and uh, the, throat yoni collection, the throat yoni connection, not collection, and a lot of other groovy stuff. So I'm your host, Tabitha. You are listening to the Throat Yoni on White Wellness Radio. We'll be back right after this song. Don't you love her badly? Wanna be her dad? 
And we are back. That was Love Her Madly by The Doors back in 1971 off of the L.A. Woman album. I'm your host, Tabitha. You are listening to The Throat Yoni on White Wellness Radio. So we are back and we're going to be talking now about the throat chakra. We're doing a series of the chakras going back to the root and the sacral and the solar plexus. And last week was the heart. And now we're going to be talking about the Vishuddha chakra, which is the throat chakra. Oh, and I will say this too, kind of a continuum of what we were talking about before the break, about really seeing things from more of an Aryan perspective as opposed to a Talmudic perspective. If anyone's done anything in the past that was more Talmudic, you know, race mixing, any of these things, like don't self-devalue yourself over these things. It was actually a comment that came in in the... In the um, the Podbean comment section for the, one of the last shows, and someone was saying like, "Oh, I, you know, I race mix in the past, but uh, I wasn't a black. Like, is this totally terrible?" And I wouldn't give myself all this anxiety over something like that. Like, look, we all were born into this world where we were uh, scammed and snared. Our parents, grandparents, you know, extended family, fr- you know, friends. We were all scammed and snared at a certain point. So it would be natural, almost normal, to make some of these mistakes in the past, right? Whatever it may be. It could be race mixing. It could, it could, be, it could be anything that was just more of a Talmudic perspective, which now you say in your, it could be getting a flu shot, whatever. Now you look back and you're like, oh my God, like, how did I do that? Don't self-devalue yourself for doing it. Realize that you only had a certain awareness at that time when you made that decision. You made the best decision you could at that time with the information that you had, and let it go, because if you self-devalue yourself, that's going to cause medical problems. And then if you don't know what to do, you'll end up back in the hand of Big Zog, right? So it's really important to learn from what we've done and not to beat up or devalue ourselves. I notice a lot of this happening, people getting into, this is a common phrase that's used, a purity spiral, right? You know, oh, you're not white enough. Oh, you did that. You're no longer white. Like, I mean, there there are probably degrees to that, right? I mean, I would say probably if someone like has had, you know, five children with, you know, five different black men, then maybe that's a bit different, you know? But, you know, most of us have probably had situations where we've done things that we weren't so proud of. We wouldn't do it again. But at least we've we've learned from it and we've moved on. But to keep in that vibe of devaluing yourself constantly, thinking that you're not trad enough, you're not white enough, you're not whatever enough, that's got to go. And I think oftentimes when people get into that devaluation mode, they're more likely to get into destructive behaviors, which are actually degenerate, which will actually make them less pro-white, you know, and less racialistic. So I just wanted to put that out there. If anyone's devaluing themselves or things they did in the past, you know, I've done this. We've all done it to an extent, right? You've done something in the past that you're like, oh, fuck, why did I do that now? You know, I, I should have known better. You only knew what you knew at the time. And many a times when we get ourselves into situations and we make decisions that we may have not made if we had a, a different perspective, we make these decisions based on like a fear or like having tunnel vision, right? So oftentimes we're not even in like there we're a right frame of mind. Like think of all these youngsters who think that they're like transsexual or like, you know, stuck in the wrong body or, you know, dysphoric, whatever they're telling themselves. And then they rush into getting all these, you know, xylosludge surgeries and these quote hormonal therapies and all this jazz. 
and they're in this frenzy of so much devaluation and hatred and disgust towards their body and particularly their genitals, how can you make an informed decision, whether you're a minor or not, but specifically if you're a minor, when you are in such a stressed state, right? So oftentimes we've made these decisions that, you know, may not be so favorable or appetizing or savory in these states of just kind of like fight or flight, right? Maybe we're in a situation where our life was like seriously on the line. Maybe we were being like abused or something, or we we're having flashbacks, or maybe it was both at the same time. And we made like kind of like a flip, flash, crisp decision. Oftentimes these decisions can change the course of our life and maybe even kind of give us perspective. Like think of people who got the OEDI vaccination and now they know that germ theory is a hollow hoax. They know that OEDI was a hollow hoax. Imagine the awakening that that would be, right? Very kind of melancholy too, but just the message is don't devalue yourself. We've all done something that we may not be so proud of or you know, want to put on our, our resume however it may be, tell, tell people about. It's not an accolade by any means, but it doesn't mean that someone's like trash or a piece of shit or garbage. We've, we grew up inculcated with all of this. So always be gentle with yourself too. Not to give yourself like license to be like a slob and to like eat fast takeaway and, you know, masturbate to porn all day long and, you know, veg on the couch or, you know, play video games for eight hours. Like, that's not what I'm talking about. That type of behavior is the result of self-devaluation for doing things that we can't accept. But oftentimes we have to accept that we were in a different perspective or different mindset, because if we can't accept the things that we've done in the past, and you know, we die a thousand times in this life, right? Every, every, every month, if you're a woman and you're um, in your fertile years, every month you have a death, right? It's called a, it's called a period. So like we are constantly in a state of, of reincarnation, whether it's the massive reincarnation that happens when we literally die and then we come back, or it's these reincarnative states of like, who were you in your 20s? I'm sure many of you listening or maybe even in your late 20s or your early 30s, you're a different person now than you were in like your early 20s. Maybe many of us feel that we're different now than we were in the beginning of the year or the beginning of Oyed AI. So to spend so much time hating and devaluing your former self is is not good it it, it creates uh dis-ease and it's really disrespectful to you as a person right think about that right because we always think about how disrespect happens you know through your actions of through to other people but we can disrespect ourselves if we don't honor the choices we made in the past right and i know maybe if someone's done something you know, very heinous, like a, a violent crime or something like that. Maybe it's it's a bit different, but I mean, I think we all end up living the lives that we do based on a lot of the, the programming that we get during, you know, formative years, specifically our gestational time too. You oftentimes will hear that you develop the nervous system that your mom had when she was pregnant with you. So if one was like, you know, totally stressed out and everything during the pregnancy, maybe you're gonna like birth a baby that's just this like high strung, stressed out kid. Or if the mom's like really chillaxed and like, you know, just everything is like good, then you're gonna be like a chill kind of like Buddha person, you know? Like I know with, with me, my mom was in a really chill state. I've heard this personal account when she was gestating me and I tend to, for the most time, sometimes I'll get stressed out, but I tend to be kind of like this chill, like kind of Buddha personality, bold. And, you know, sometimes I guess you could say very uh, intense, but 
still overall I consider myself like a chill person. I don't want to like be someone who's totally obsessing about things all the time because I mean it doesn't really get you anywhere. So a lot of, of who we are is based on a lot of our formative years in our program. Just to remember to be uh, gentle with yourself. I'm not going to use the word kind. That word has been co-opted by um, the transsexual agenda. It's so sad because that word kind also has its roots in, in kinder. And of course, kinder means, you know, child in, in German. But this is so disgusting. Just a little side note that I think they're referring to that grinder app where like uh, guys or like women who like think they're guys are on there, which is just, oh my God, like women who are like trannies and stuff like are on grinder. But now I think they're calling it like kinder or kinder because you want to be kind to trannies. It's all part of this um, TS pedophile agenda, which of course is not only disgusting and transhumanistic and misogynistic and pedophilic, it's a complete inversion of sacred sexuality. And I have to say, I don't really see a lot of people pointing that. They'll, they'll point out all the things I said. Some of them will say it's a Jewish agenda. Typically they won't say that. And oftentimes I'll write people these messages who expose all the advents of the TS agenda. And I'll be like, hey, by the way, do you know that it's actually like a Talmudic agenda? You know, the NSDAP torch Magnus Hirschfeld's transsexual clinic, you know, back in the Weimar days, nobody wants to hear it, right? And then you go another level deeper and you're like, okay, all of this is the inversion of a perverted, of a, it's the inversion of a sacred act, right? Sacred sexuality, which has been perverted for way before the TS agenda with, you know, pornography and plastic surgery and like all of this fake stuff, prostitution, but it's really taking it to a higher level. So now we're going to get into that material. We're going to start with the fifth chakra, which is the Vishuddha chakra. So this is the throat chakra. That's why I called the show the throat yoni. The element is sound. The color is bright blue. It's a beautiful blue color. The name is Vishuddha, V-I-S-S-U-D-H-A, which means purification. How beautiful is that, that your throat can create purification, right? The location is the throat or the pharyngeal plexus. The purpose is communication and creativity. The identity is creative. The issues surrounding the Vishuddha chakra, communication, creativity, listening, resonance, and finding one's own voice. I think it's a really important theme especially nowadays in society where so many of us have been silenced, shadow banned, you know, deplatformed, et cetera. And they've done things to kind of um, technologically silence us, if you will. But that could actually have reverberation on how we speak our voice just in general. And also think about all the stuff of people typing and, you know, are they actually speaking? We do so much of our, quote, talking via typing as opposed to actually speaking. One of the reasons I like actually to do a broadcast as opposed to writing articles, I think it's easier to speak personally. For me, not everyone might agree with that. I find it easier to speak. Uh, I find it more of an informal way. So I think it's easier to digest the information and also creates a dialogue, especially if I'm doing a live show. And there are questions and comments coming in. But I think that's actually one of the best ways to do things is, is via, you know, actually using your vocal cords, right? The orientation of the fifth chakra is self-expression. 
the demon is lies, which makes total sense because I always talk about speaking your truth, right? The developmental stage of the Vishuddha Chakra is age 7 to 12 years. The developmental task, creative expression, communication skills, and symbolic thinking. The basic rights concerning the fifth chakra, to speak and hear the truth. And I think that's a theme that we should take note of just moving forward in the world with everything happening, to speak and hear the truth. Because how much of what we hear on a daily basis is just a lie. Like go to go to your phone and go to like discover and just, you know, scroll like whatever Jugal is promoting. All of it's a hoax. It's it's almost like laughable. All this is about oyedai, monkeypox, you know, taking a nap during the day will kill you. Like it's just it's all a hoax. It's crazy. You know, having chickens will give you salmonella. Like it's just back, you know, backyard chickens. Like it's all fear and lies. So here are some characteristics of a balanced Vishuddha chakra. A resonant voice, a good listener, good sense of timing and rhythm, clear communication, and lives creatively. Traumas and abuses that could possibly affect the fifth chakra. Lies and mixed messages. Verbal abuse and constant yelling. Excessive criticism, which can block creativity. Secrets and threats for telling secrets authoritarian parents, kind of like, you know, don't talk back to me style of parenting, alcoholic, chemical dependent family, don't talk, don't trust, don't feel. Oftentimes those are characteristics of uh, an alcoholic family. Sometimes there's overlapping with um, narcissism and emotional incest, depending on the, on the family dynamic. What are signs of a deficiency of the fifth chakra? Fear of speaking, a small, weak voice, Difficulty putting feelings into words. Introversion and shyness. Tone deaf and poor rhythm. What are signs of excess? Too much talking. Talking as a defense. Inability to listen. Poor auditory comprehension. Gossiping. A dominating voice and interruption. So you can see like if someone's too meek or too intense, how it can create either a deficiency or an excess. And of course, when we're talking about Things like TCM and talking about someone having deficiency of the kidney or excess of the kidney. We can see when we look at dis-ease or just health or the body characteristics, whether it's from like an auric energetic perspective of like the chakras or more of like um, kind of a medicinal perspective of how the organs work together. We can see, I think this is really a good modality for looking at it. I like the kind of esoteric like a feminine way of looking at it as opposed to like oh you know you've, you've got low b12 or something like how does that really correlate to like how our organs and aura are working it, it it falls short right and of course if you have low b12 that's that's a very rare thing typically it only happens to people who are like hardcore vegans who aren't doing this synthetic injection and remember that synthetic injection of b12 that they do it reminds me of the trannies who do like the testosterone like uh, injection in their leg like all of this synthetic culture it, it all has like a, a syringe attached to it. Vaccination, transsexualism, veganism, vaccination. Oh, it's just, oh, it's so gross. It's all so gross. And so weird too, to be like a natural human in this world with like all this like synthetic stuff going on. And just so much commodification can happen when you live in like this synthetic world. Like look at the commodification of transsexualism. They can sell you everything from like, you know, a surgery to remove a body part to like a synthetic prosthesis to replace like, or not to replace, to 
facsimilize, I suppose, the genitals of the opposite sex. It's, it's mind-seeing. So what are the physical malfunctions that could affect somebody uh, if they're dealing with a fifth chakra imbalance? Disorders of the throat, ears, voice, and neck. Tightness of the jaw. Toxicity due to the chakra's name, which means purification. So if you can't speak your truth, or you can't speak well, or you're like you're dominating and you're gossiping and you're, you know, you're chatting on, which is like a, like a maniac, that would be a sign of toxicity because it's almost like your voice is like a purification thing to like get things out, right? And I'll mention this too, a little bit of a side note, but kind of, you know, intertwined with what we're speaking about. I noticed with myself when I was like a youngster and I would like hear myself back on the um, message machine, I was like, oh my God, is what my voice sounds like. But then I realized that when I started eating more of like a balanced way of eating and eating more animal foods, I realized that I began to kind of like the sound of my voice more than when I was a youngster. And I think when I was young, like I was, I was a very introverted, like shy youngster, like very, very shy. But once I got to know someone, I was like, I was definitely more outgoing. So it's possible. I mean, I had a deficiency growing up of Ibushita chakra because I was always like an inverted shy individual, but I could always put my feelings into words if I was writing more than speaking. But I think as I've gotten older and I've gotten like, you know, into like understanding things more from like a holistic perspective and just, you know, eating more of these foods that I really didn't get as a youngster and just kind of being more in an environment where I kind of have a, an idea of my own kind of like autonomous, uh, physical, emotional, you know, mental sovereignty, if you will, it's kind of given me more of a voice that I think represents like how I feel. So when you see someone or you hear someone and like their voice is just either meek or too intense, it's a sign that something is not so right, right? I mean, there's so many things that you could pick up about somebody, even if you're talking to them, like typing on like an application, you could probably discern many things about someone. Of course, if you meet them in real life and you see their posture, you see how they walk, like you see their eyes, like you can, if you know what you're doing, you can discern so much about somebody. So what are some healing practices we can engage in to heal the fifth chakra? Loosening our neck and shoulders, especially nowadays with all the computer work and all the texting. A lot of people have, um, tight neck and shoulders. And if your neck and shoulders are tight, which a lot of people have tightness there, that will also translate into a tightness in your pelvic bowl. I know a lot of people use the uh, term pelvic floor. It's actually a pelvic bowl. It kind of sits in there. Um, so it's a pelvic bowl. This is true for guys and gals. We typically talk more about it in the context of women because women tend to get more pelvic issues because women typically have more issues with inorgasmia. That's inability to have an orgasm or, you know, low libido. Uh, women have issues because of, you know, uh, pregnancy, whether they haven't prepared their pelvic pelvic bowl before pregnancy or they, or they have a tear or so for, it's usually more of something that's related to women, but it, it is for both men and women. So if you feel like a tightness in your neck and your shoulders, even your jaw, that will um, correspond and correlate with having some type of like tightness in like the pelvic bowl issues, possibly even, you know, sexual or libido issues as well. So you want to loosen your neck and shoulders. You want to release your voice. Singing, chanting, and toning is all really good. So singing along to groovy tunes, you know, chanting along to like Kundalini, like, you know, mantra, storytelling, journal writing, all of this is like getting it out, you know, automatic writing, practicing silence, um, 
non-goal oriented creativity. It'd be just like, you know, painting something with no goal. Like I remember years ago taking some of those like painting classes. I remember those like wine and paint nights they were having places like maybe where you were living they were having that but that was just kind of cool you know and I would always like paint something that they gave us like an idea of what it was supposed to look like and like mine was always like super psychedelic <laughs> um non-goal oriented creativity uh they're saying psychotherapy learning communication skills complete communications letter writing inner child communication voice dialogue and I guess also something too, practicing communication with other people too. Like I feel sometimes like just knowing how to talk to other people can be a big thing too. Like everyone has a way that they prefer to be talked to. It's almost like, you know, like everyone has like their love language, but you know, just learning how to communicate with other people. Of course, sometimes this can be more difficult depending on if the person wants to communicate you know, if you feel like there's a resonance between being able to communicate, there's also language barrier. So there could be many issues that may kind of, you know, fuzz up communication. And a lot of communication is nonverbal, but I feel like sometimes that nonverbal communication makes more sense when the native tongue is the same. So just some ideas right there. Um, and also another way to communicate too, that we may not be thinking about, because we're not really thinking about our voice, but lovemaking can be a form of communication as well, or, or not doing it is also a form of communication. So you can think about that. And here are some affirmations uh, in regard to the Vishuddha Chakra. I hear and speak the truth. I express myself with clear intent. Creativity flows in and through me. And my voice is necessary. I think that one is really rad. My voice is necessary, especially in this day and age, people may think like, oh, I couldn't have anything to contribute. You know, even saying that is is self-devaluation. Like we were talking about earlier, like don't devalue yourself for the past mistakes that you made. So your voice is necessary regardless of what you're doing. You don't have to be doing a podcast. You, don't, you can just keep totally anonymous online, but your voice is still necessary. All of our voices are necessary regardless of what we're contributing, whether we even want our voice to be heard. I know many of us in this quote movement are, you know, leery of, of sharing our voice or our picture. I totally understand it. I totally get it. I get the people who make the videos where they use like a, like a robotic voice or something like that, but we shouldn't be afraid to speak our truth, especially as time goes on and things get zoggier, right? Things get are so zoggy these days. I just, I don't know. I mean, Maybe that's just my perspective of things being zoggy, but I don't know. I feel like things are getting zoggier all the time. It just it just feels that way. But so a little bit there about the fifth chakra, the Vishuddha chakra, and how we can how we can heal it. Um, even doing some of this stuff, like we're talking about over here about the chanting and the Kundalini stuff, like chanting mantras, even humming a hmm, that could actually like tone the vagus nerve, and that's actually related to a lot of this too especially people who have like a lot of, you know, bound up trauma and like living in fight or flight. And the vagus nerve, I think, is also correct, connected to um, to the cervix and having orgasms, too. So there's, there's a lot here with a lot of this. And on the topic of um, orgasmic uh, potential and all of that good stuff, orgasm is an essential physiological function similar to elimination or menstruation. Of course, only one of the sexes can menstruate. So to see it like that as a physiological function, I think is very different than like the way we've been taught to think about. It. I mean, there are people out there who like don't even think that women can have an orgasm or only some can. I mean, this is really like, you know, dark age, like Talmudic, you know, kind of like burqa thinking, terrible. 
Our bodies are designed to have regular orgasms. This is written in context for a woman, both clitoral and cervical as part of our overall pelvic health and function. And I would also say for men, it's also very important. And we're going to talk about this more on different shows. I just give a little tidbit each week or so, but see for men and women, it's, it's a different thing. And especially in this culture, we have, um, not just this culture, but I'd say like the whole whole world, essentially, maybe not the whole world, but a lot of the world, especially when we have this interspliced with the pornographic culture, which seems to be very big here in the States. I don't I don't know what the pornographic culture is like in, in other parts of the world and other parts of the white world. I, I don't know. I mean, you can be watching American made pornography and, you know, be living in Romania for all, you know, for that. But I don't know what like the pornographic industry is like in other countries and things like that. But it's pretty disgusting, and it, it really uh, it fiddles with people's brains. We'll talk about that a little bit more, but that was just what I wanted to talk about, it being a physiological function. So now, after I mentioned that about orgasm, physiological function, pelvic health, you think we can think about this, how our, our voices will get bigger if we have this orgasmic you know, intensity happening to our body on, on a regular basis. This is not like pervert talk either. I really hate that there's all this crap out there, like thinking that anyone who's talking about sex must be a pervert or something like that. They want you to think that because they know that sex is sacred and it's powerful. So that, why do you think when someone is sexually abused, molested or raped, it's such a horrific transgression? Because it's a violation of our most sacred parts of our body and violence or some disgusting, you know, force, forced concept or forced motion is used to kind of fuck up that sacredness. That's what makes it such a transgression, right? So that was that on orgasm and physiological function. And now I want to talk a little bit more about the connection between the yoni and the throat, because we we're just talking a little bit about that with the whole idea of orgasms being like this physiological thing like I would I would see it like anything else like they said menstruation and elimination right using the toilet to for number one or number two and then menstruation we have you know once a month for you know decades of our life if we're ladies but if we look at it like that I think it makes better sense not to say we should just fastidiously like jack off when we're brushing our teeth or something I'm not talking about that I'm talking about working this into our lives like we would a massage or something like that so Let's see. Um, Josh is here. Oh, I hope all is well. I didn't know you were doing a show. I didn't know I was doing a show either, to be honest with you. I I started, I didn't do a show like earlier in the week. And then I started, I was like, you know what? I'm like, I think I'm going to do a show today. So I'm doing Tuesday's show today. Josh is saying the speaking part is primarily why I use the voice messages and telegram instead of typing. Yeah, no, I figured that it makes good sense. So here, a very interesting article, we're going to be talking about the connection between the throat and the yoni. This is this is obviously, you know, for women because only women have yonis, but I think this is really very good information for all of us to to understand and to know and to listen to and, and to enjoy. So here we go. The physical and energetic connection between the throat and the yoni. There's a direct correlation between the voice and the yoni. In a female embryo, the vocal cords and the ovaries are one organ that later splits into two as the embryo develops. How cool is that? The word cervix comes from the Latin word for neck, and both the vagina and the throat are supported by a hammock-like set of diaphragmatic muscles which move in tandem with respiration. 
So as you can see, just physiologically, there is a throat yoni connection. That's why I called the show what I called it today. The physical connection between the vagina and the throat is the vagus nerve, which is the largest nerve in the body connecting the brain stem to the sacral nerve plexus. That's around like tailbone area. Recent research shows that this nerve does in fact go to the cervix and the uterus and probably the vagina. Don't you love when gynos, especially like male gynos, would be like, there's no use for the cervix. Like it's totally useless. Like it's, it's not orgasmic at all. Like what do they know? They don't even have one. The vagus nerve activates the parasympathetic nervous system and is therefore able to send a sigh of relief throughout the entire nervous system. That's why I had mentioned on shows prior that the easiest way to heal the nervous system is an orgasm. The vagus nerve is stimulated through a number of means, including diaphragmic breathing. This is enhanced further when done in tandem with vocalization, singing, or sounding. It makes sense that chanting and om sounding has been a popular practice of relaxing the nervous system since ancient times. Absolutely. Deep breathing with vocalization also enhances our sexual pleasure. Making noise actually during sex will increase sexual pleasure too. When someone is fully in their voice, they are often also fully in their sexuality. Identifying a disassociation between the two can be a great first step in building greater capacity for expression, communication, and pleasure. So you can do your own kind of like, you know, doctoring on yourself and say, hi, you know, my voice feels like it's lacking oomph. You know, maybe I've got to kind of recalibrate my sexuality, right? And we're never too old to do this either. I want to I want to put that message out there. People think sometimes like, oh, you know, I've I'm 50 or something. I'm too old for this. Or, you know, I've got children or I've gone through menopause or something like we're sexual beings like you should be you know, sexual into like your later years, the whole idea that like women have to, this is typically in society, it's, it's addressed towards women that, you know, women as they, once they get to a certain age, they're no longer uh, sexy or sexual. They, they dry up like an old raisin or a prune. That is not true. That's what's happened to a lot of women because they've bought into the Zao sludge agenda, right? They've bought into the Zog stuff. They didn't eat right. They got super stressed they did these crazy surgeries to their bodies. You know, they lived in trauma, you know, like they had sexual experiences that fucked them up and they never got over it. You know, like we're not supposed to shrivel up like dried fruit. We're supposed to be juicy and sensuous and luscious into our older years. And you can definitely still be hot and sexy as you get older. Like if you see someone who's older, who has that sparkle in their eye, who's like, you know, who's fit, who's sensual, they will automatically appear to be more attractive than someone who's in their 20s who's just shut down, right? And we see that with a lot of people now who are young, shut down. And like, I get why, but there's still an existence between why this is happening. And we, we get, get to understand more that chronological age is just one facet of things. You could be, quote, old and be like in your 20s, right? Or you could be having the sparkle, like youthful, groovy vibrance and be like, you know, 70 plus. So not only are the yoning in the throat very similar from an anatomical perspective, but they also are energetically linked. Notice what happens when you kiss someone with wet, soft lips. What happens to your yoni? What about the sound with orgasm? Opening the throat, vocalizing your pleasure and relaxing that area also relaxes and opens the pelvic floor. So if you can relax your voice, you're going to relax your yoni, right? That's why making the noises during intercourse and lovemaking can relax your yoni and give you more pleasure, right? Likewise, if the throat is constricted, so too is the yoni and vice versa. 
If we try to force something inside your mouth too quickly, we choke or gag. So too with our yonis. Makes total sense, right? And of course, we hear in the beginning of this article that when a, a female baby is, is forming, the vocal cords and the ovaries are one organ that later splits into two as the embryo develops. So when we think about dramatic new medicine, because dramatic new medicine always looks at things from how they form in a cellular way, like when a, when a body is being formed, when someone's a baby, we can see that if someone's going to have like a throat problem, it's going to translate into a sexual problem and vice versa, right? So we can always see the body never lies. And it's, it's quite beautiful to be able to understand and discern these things. Like, what if we weren't able to do this. You think Dr. Z is going to know these things? Like you go to Dr. Z and be like, ah, oh, you know, my, my voice is weak or, you know, sex is painful. I, I have no libido, you know, all that type of stuff. I think Dr. Z is going to be like, oh, you know, your Vishuddha chakra is blocked. Like, yeah, okay. That's not going to happen. So a woman's vocal center can switch off when she is aroused. Once a woman is aroused, her vocal center can easily switch off. When women open themselves sexually, they have a tendency not to be able to say no or express what they need, especially where there is arousal. Once a woman is aroused, her language center switches off and is easy to slip into a submissive role and be taken advantage of. It is extremely common for a woman to be filled with regret after a sexual interaction once her rational mind is back online. Interesting. This can lead to feelings of being re-traumatized, guilt, shame, and even the desire to persecute or crucify the male. Likewise, many men don't even understand how a woman is wired and then wonder why their lover acts as though she really wants to engage and it seems very empowered and consensual, yet afterwards she can feel like her boundaries were transgressed or ignored. This is because of the mode her brain has delicately flipped into. So essentially the goal is to reclaim our female sexual power through the voice and speaking up too, like speaking up if you don't like something sexually or you do want something sexually. If, if a guy is like normal and healthy and masculine, he's probably going to want to take on the task and be like, yeah, I'll do that. You know, I want to I want to try that out. And of course, not only will you connect more as, as a couple through the lovemaking, but it will also possibly boost his confidence and it will make you feel more relaxed. So there's definitely something to be said for reclaiming your sexual power through your voice and asking for what you do want sexually, right? Or what you don't want. That's, and of course, for guys, it's important to, but usually men have less of a problem asking for what they want sexually. Women oftentimes don't know or want to ask and think the guy is just supposed to know. And the guy is like clueless and doesn't even know. So a little tip, if anyone um, is looking for a little tip, that's a little tip right there. So a bit, a bit about that and how that all works, the throat yoni connection. And now I have another source on all of this and how your yoni is a reflection of your voice. So I have some pictures that I'm looking at and I see the vocal cords and the vulva, a picture of, it's a picture of the vocal cords closed and a picture of the vulva. And they look so similar. It just looks like there's a large you know, slit in the middle. It kind of looks like a, like a clam. And then we see a picture of the trachea and then a lining of the vagina and the tissue looks the same. The only difference is the trachea is more of a triangle shape, uh, upside down triangle. And the, um, you know, the inside of the vagina is like, you know, more like a, a straight, straight kind of like ruler type of looking thing. So now here are some reasons why um, you can open up your yoni and your voice in these steps. Or actually, here's a little bit about why they're connected. And then here are some steps on how you can open them. Because the muscles that control both the vocal cords and the yoni 
work together at the same time, the vocal cords, the diaphragm, and the pelvic bowl all move when we speak. So right now as I'm speaking, my diaphragm and my pelvic bowl are also moving as well as my, um, my vocal cords. Holding in anger and anxiety closes and restricts movement of both outlets, the trachea and the yoni. Because they both need to open when we breathe to allow the body to expand and receive oxygen, the vulva and the vocal cords both open as we breathe in. If the pelvic bowl is restricted, this limits the amount of air we take in and in turn restricts the amount of movement within the vocal fold. So if you feel like maybe there's like a tightness in your chest or like, um, I heard people talking about being air hungry and I didn't really get what that meant at first, but now when I'm looking into this, I was like, oh, air hungry, that makes total sense. So if you feel like you can't get enough air in, you've probably got some blockage, um, some yoni blockage going on. Number three, because both the trachea and the yoni are the exit quote, slash outlets of the body. They are the main routes we let stress, waste, and emotional pain out of the physical body. That's why sex can be an incredible healing modality. It could also be very traumatizing in the wrong hands. Talking and speaking your truth can aid in letting out trauma, anxiety, and fear. Pelvic bowl opening and lengthening is responsible for letting out physical tension, bodily waste, and held emotions. Nothing gets out without the voice and the vulva doing its job. And also, if you're doing like a lot of like yoni work, like yoni massage and all this, you'll notice that the way your yoni feels actually will change because the muscles are like relaxing and it's becoming more open and more inviting. They even talk about in, in Taoism that there are three gates for a woman that have to be passed before the man can enter and engage, you know, like the couple can engage in lovemaking and intercourse because if you don't pass all those three gates, the woman isn't really going to open up. And that's completely and totally true. You can't Past, you can't, you know, bypass those gates. I think you're going to get, you know, a very, a very open, receptive woman. It's not going to happen that way. And uh, here are some signs of pelvic bowl tension and closure. So maybe some ideas if you're dealing with these things, you may be having a pelvic bowl that's very tense. Also, something to mention, I'm just going to mention it here, but it's, it could also affect your pooping too, not just, you know, sex stuff. So number one would be sexual anxiety, number two, constipation, number three, painful pelvic exams. So like going to see Dr. Z and, you know, Dr. Z takes, takes their, their cold finger lubricated with some nasty jelly and he shoves it inside of you. That's a lot of, that could be very traumatizing to a lot of women. So sexual anxiety, constipation, painful pelvic exams, jaw pain or temporal mandibular pain, TMJ, low back pain, low sex drive vulvodynia, vaginismus, vaginismus, uh, vaginismus, I think is like painful, like very, very painful sex and vulvodyna. I forget what that is, but some women have very, very, um, very painful sex, like where the, the yoni won't even open. Okay. Vulvodyna is chronic pain or discomfort around the opening of the yoni. Um, there's, they're saying through allopathy, there's no cause it's, it's caused by, by trauma. Uh, and then vaginismus, vaginismus, uh, this is um, whenever penetration or intercourse is attempted, the vaginal muscles tighten on their own. So, of course, that's that's a trauma type of thing, not, not being safe, not feeling safe, right? A woman typically has to feel safe in order to be turned on, which is pretty obvious, but oftentimes that's not the case. 
Uh, incomplete bladder emptying can be a sign of pelvic bowl tension and unresolved trauma. So those are some issues there that um, if you're dealing with, with that, it may be just good to know this and be like, ah, okay. You know, because I mean, oftentimes you don't get a lot of, um, you get the runaround with Dr. Z. So here are some ways that you can open up your yoni and your voice in three easy steps. Occasionally through the day, get your tongue on the roof of your mouth, what the Vedics call Kachari Mudra. Constantly keeping the mouth in a state of closure tenses both your jaw and pelvic bowl muscles, the muscles of expression and creation. Doing this also will keep your jaw and your face looking good. Babies actually naturally do Kachari Mudra. Um, and of course, depending on your tongue and your palate, it could be easier for some people to do it. I have a pretty narrow palate, but I can still pretty much do it. Yeah, like all the way up. And that can actually be just like a good activity to do. Like just when you're sitting, you know, you can like sit in like swastikasana. Your posture is really good, of course. You're not like hunching forward or anything like that. And then you have your, you know, your tongue and Kachari Mudra. So of course, anything that's going to make your jaw and your face look better, of course, is going to be good for your trachea, you know, all your all your throat stuff going on, the Vishuddha, and it's going to be good for your pelvic bowl, yoni, you know, sacral chakra. Number two, set aside a sacred time for emotional and yoni release, like pooping. Set a time, set a time every morning where you train yourself to release the poop. A lot of people have problems with poop. Uh, I've dealt with these problems in the past before. Um, it's very annoying not being able to use the john. I know poop comes out of your anus, but the posterior wall of the vagina blends with your rectum. The vagina lengthens and opens when you use the toilet for number two. Protect your times of release or reserve a time where you talk, sing, or write can help you mobilize your voice muscles. And of course, doing some type of yoga sometimes or exercises can help, but it comes down to more than that. I think that that can be helpful, but I think really doing more of the internal yoni work can be really very helpful, which of course... Um, is something that some people are just not comfortable with. I remember one time reading this article in um, like the paper, like years ago, many, many years ago, and it was a study done. And they said that most women, especially women who are over a certain age, had never seen their yoni in a mirror before. And I was just, I was like, what? Like, how? How? Like, this is a part of your body, a sacred part of your body that every day you have contact with if you're showering or peeing you know, sex, your period, birth, and you've never seen your yoni in, in a mirror before? It, yeah, it's just a lot of disembodiment in this society. It's not this the TS stuff, the transsexualism. That's peak disembodiment. But if you're not connected to your sexuality, that is disembodiment. Or if you have like some creepy thing going on where you're like a porn addict, that's disembodiment too. And a lot of these trannies, oh my God, a lot of these like young trannies, these like Zoomer trannies, they're all fucking porn addicts and they're on like OnlyFans whoring themselves for like $6 a month. I just don't like, that's why I said what I said at the beginning of the show, how many of these people are going to be alive in 20 years? So number three, touch, massage your face, touch your neck, your jaw, uh, touch your vulva. Do you feel pain in any of these areas? These regions get little tactile attention by touching. You wake up the nerves and bring more blood flow to aid in the things we love, expression, pleasure, and power. And those are all your birthright, obviously. And the more you strengthen your expression, your pleasure, and your power, stronger and more resonant your voice will be. So a little bit there about pelvic bowl tension. And this is, this is a topic that's getting a lot of, um, 
it's hot. It's hot and spicy and trendy now, especially on Instagram and stuff like that, which is, I think it's great that there's, there's finally some awareness for this because I think a lot of women suffer in um, secret to having these, these problems. And then maybe the husband or the, the BF is like a, a porn addict and like, who what came first? The chicken or the egg? Did the, did the pelvic bowl problems happen first? Did the porn addiction happen first? But none of these things are normal or, or healthy. Doesn't mean that you're terrible for having them, but things can be fixed too. That's the thing. Like we don't realize how much power we have, how much self-healing capacity the body has. It's just about being able to pinpoint what is happening, right? Just like when I said earlier, that most people think about their spleen or their kidneys when they're, you know, out and about. Probably not. But if you can kind of visualize and send that energy to your body, you can really you can do amazing things. If you have this intention with your expression um, of pleasure and power, there's a lot of things you can really do, right? And of course, you're not getting dragged down by the Zao sludge out there. There's a lot. You can have a lot of uh, potential if you really allow yourself to kind of, you know, bloom and, and bloom into things, right? Okay, Josh is saying, I hope my lady stays sexual into her 50s. Fingers crossed, LOL. Yeah, supposedly, like, that's, like, when they always say, like, a man reaches his sexual peak at, what, 18? And then, like, women reach it, like, in their 40s or, or 50s or something. So I think I posted something on the Vedic Sex and Yoga channel about how a lot of women, actually, as they get older, they actually feel, you know, more orgasmic and, and more sexual. But I guess it depends on the person. It depends, you know what the person is is like or I mean I guess as you get older you typically feel more comfortable in your body right it said that here that many studies show for women the ability to become sexually excited and have an orgasm remains and actually can increase as they age so yeah it is it is possible of course it takes work right it's like anything else like is someone going to be fit if they're eating crap all the time no right? So it takes, like everything else, it takes work. We can't just expect something to always be there, especially as people get older. And oftentimes, you know, life happens, you know, jobs, marriage, children, you know, buying a new house, like all these things happen, but we still have to, you know, tune and take care of the things in our life like that we want to grow. So if we want to, you know, look good we have to you know work out and eat well like if we want to have a good sex life we have to you know do the things that lead to that so it's it's really about putting putting in the work right so i think i'm gonna read one more thing and then i think i will i think i will close out the broadcast and then we'll do another show i'm not sure if i'll do it um on tuesday or not maybe i will we'll see so six four aaron is saying lol putting in the work to be the lingam king <laughs> yeah exactly see now that's a good that's a good uh instagram handle lingam king right you could use like an eggplant and like the the uh the crown emoji on your thing but i even saw now like they're doing like these uh emojis where they're making different colored eggplants because for some reason that eggplant has become the emoji that means like the penis but i think that means like a black penis i don't but now they have like all these homo emojis too, but oh gosh, the world's wild. So here is a little bit about where is my sex life going? We'll end with this. And then um, I have some other stuff that actually I'm going to save for next week's show that I'm going to talk about pornography and things like that, just so I'll have enough material and just to keep everyone's appetite wet. We're already like an hour 40 plus. So I'll read this little thing about where is my sex life going? 
and then we will uh we'll close it out hope everyone's having an amazing saturday by the way i thought it was friday i didn't even know it was saturday i'm thinking like oh okay maybe that's why the chat looks different and i'm doing a little bit of a later show but anyway so where is my sex life going i found this um from this uh, sex guru called jason julius i get some of his material to my inbox and it's typically like geared towards men looking to please women but you know, i can i can find anything and it doesn't matter who it's geared to. I can always find inspiration in it and then, you know, share it with other people. So this is a question I don't think we ask ourselves enough. In order to get what we want in life, we need to have a clear picture of our desired outcome. This goes for everything. Yet so many of us assume that with almost no effort at all, our sex life will just take care of itself. That's like thinking anything else will just take care of itself if we don't put the energy in. Remember, energy flows where attention goes, right? What if we put the same amount of focus towards growth in our sexual relationship as we do with other areas of our lives, such as health or wealth, which is where people typically concentrate the majority of their time and focus? When you start to look at it this way, you can begin to see that sex is something you can um, have evolved and continue to get better and better. And of course, a lot of people say when they get older, especially when they get married, they're like, oh, you know, it's, it's gone downhill, it's, it's non-existent, etc. But it doesn't have to be that way. You know, it's like anything else, like, you know, the things that we want to flourish, flourish. And it says that the selfish majority of men don't even take the time to understand how a woman's body and mind come together to give her full body squirting orgasms. It's the man who steps up and takes the time to give his woman unbelievably pleasurable sexual experiences, who is rewarded not just from seeing his partner experience bliss, but also from reciprocated pleasure from his humbly gratified woman as well. And of course, this experience releases oxytocin. This will bring the couple closer together. Um, and that's really what sexual expression is about. It's it's a, a sexual way to express, you know, love and admiration for someone else. It's not about using someone else's whole, which they'd like you to believe, right? Getting your woman to experience a squirting orgasm is just the beginning, not the final destination. There is so much more that opens you up once you master this level. So that's what it's really about. It's about connection. It's about embodiment. And really the take home or the takeaway message for this broadcast is that there is so much out there that is disembodying, that is disconnecting, that is disrespectful, right? More so than ever before in history, um, the manners of a lot of people are just really shot too. If anyone's noticed that the manners of people is just, gosh, especially I've noticed this with maybe some of the younger people is that not to bash young people, but I've noticed that, I mean, people just learn differently, but I've had other people mention this to me, people who are older than me say like, no one holds the door open anymore or says, hello, how are you doing? Like, I guess the world is just changing you know i just i just feel like back in the day if you were to like snub someone it would be like a thing like oh that person ignored or snubbed me now it's just like oh whatever you know like i was i was looking at porn on my phone like i can't be bothered like it just yeah it's crazy it's um it's a zoggy zog world but don't forget that there are good parts about living in this world i don't think it's always going to be as as zoggy as it is now i think we're coming to like a kind of like a precipice with a lot of this type of stuff um but I, I just always want to live a good life and um, kind of, you know, share that with other people. And we do have a lot of things in this world that are not so good. Um, but it doesn't always have to be like that, right? I think, I think a consciousness change, people might say this is like kind of a new age thing to say. It's not really new age. It's more like Aryan age, like Satya Yuga type of stuff. But I think just having a consciousness that is clean, 
and and really working on being an Aryan person, being high vibe, being creative, you know, injecting positivity, injecting for lack of a better word, imbuing, that's better, imbuing positivity into things. And, you know, we can change. You, I mean, think about it. If you wake up in a really bad mood, that can be your tone for the day if you let it. Or you can say, you know what? I'm not going to let that ruin my day. I'm going to have a good day. So it's a, kind of the same way with everything that we see or hear. You know, we could, we could really feel heavy from a lot of these things, but we don't necessarily have to. Our perspective of things is really one of the biggest things, right? And staying in that vibration of the truth, which is what the Vishuddha Chakra is about. It's about speaking our truth, right? And there was one more thing I wanted to share in regards to the Vishuddha Chakra. Let's see where it was. Every week I was doing that thing where I was mentioning a little bit about each chakra and what it had going for itself. Let's see. Here it is. Okay. So I missed last week with the heart. So I'll read that now. The mantra for the heart chakra is I welcome my experiences. They help me grow. And the throat is I express my truth. So that's that's really the, the thing I want to drive home here. So if you express your truth through your, your mouth, your, your trachea, all that, you're expressing it through your yoni as well, right? And that's really where we all come from, right? We all come from the sacred yoni, you know, regardless of what sex we are. And even if we were, you know, a C-section, we still, that's where we were supposed to come out of, right? So that's that's really the primordial home of, of truth is the yoni. And so it makes total sense that the vocal cord would be analogous to that, right? From, from a cellular perspective. So I think that's all I have for this week's Light Wellness broadcast, The Throat Yoni. I hope you um, enjoyed listening to this and um, learned some stuff, all that all that good stuff, the things I always hope. This is a, this is a positive racialist broadcast. Uh, sometimes there's things said on the broadcast that, you know, maybe are of not the most savory connotation, but at the end of the day, this is a positive racialist broadcast to uplift ourselves, to make ourselves basically Aryan, right? We want to go from white to Aryan. We were born white, we can become Aryan. Or maybe some would say we're actually born Aryan. But the best way to become Aryan is to is to live your truth, to speak your truth. That's that's really what it's all about. So I will leave everyone with that. Um, this has been the Throat Yoni on White Wellness Radio with your host Tabitha. Be sure to catch all the broadcasts over here on White Wellness Radio. Follow me on Telegram, Instagram, Patreon, and all that jazz. And I'm wishing you a, a wonderful weekend, a groovy Saturday and all that stuff. And I will be back soon with the next broadcast. Okay, everyone. Satnam. Happy 300.